Welcome to the Farcast. This week, our special year-end top ten edition. And now, here's your host, Michael Farr. Welcome to the Farcast. The final year-end 2020, don't let the door hit you in the ass <laughs> edition of the Farcast. We're so glad to see 2020 go. We don't know what to do. We thank you, each and every one of you, for listening so faithfully uh, every week. Uh, we hope that we've brought some value. We hope that we have brought you some information, uh, some perspectives on Wall Street, Washington, and the world that have helped you as investors and maybe just helped you navigate the news and the light and your life and the headlines. All of those things are good things. I'm going to start out with special thanks this morning to our producer, Harry Jennings, who puts all of these shows together every week and lines up guests and sends me notes and then tells me when I sound stupid. Um, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't believe how much time that takes him. So thank you very much, Harry. It's uh, always a lot of fun. And uh, one of the things we're trying to do here is make the dismal science a little less dismal. Uh, we've had enough dismal this year, for sure. Enough dismal this year, no question about it. So for our final... 2020, we're going to give my top 10 list for 2021. You may remember that this is something that I do every year. And though Far Miller in Washington is a buy to hold investment manager, meaning we typically hold uh, stocks and investments three years, five years or more if we can. We might trim them somewhere in there if valuations change, but we don't trade and we, we don't like to take uh, the capital gains and pay taxes very frequently. So buy to hold if the stock's working out, if the company's doing well. Here are my top 10, and I buy these every year. And so uh, on the 31st, I will sell uh, 2020's list, and in the afternoon, I will buy 2021's list. So in my own account, I do that, and I hold it all year long. Some years have been good results. Some years have been less good. I don't think any have been awful particularly. But anyway, here we go with the 2020 list, my top 10. Uh, some of them, I will tell you, are core positions. Some are opportunistic. Some have been beaten down because of COVID, and we'll talk about those. Number one for the year, and this is in not any particular order of preference, just again, Mondelez International is a leading food and beverage manufacturer, was spun off from Kraft in 2012. Company has a broad geographic reach with operations really all over the world, Europe, North America, Latin America, Asia, Middle East, and uh, they've got a new CEO, or he's new in 2017. That's new when you're when you're my age. They've uh, he's he's increasing their competitive position, and they're making investments in brands to drive a higher market share. They're, so they're a leading food and beverage manufacturer. Most important to me, they make Oreo cookies. Oreo cookies. You would almost have to own Oreo cookies just to be a good American, I think. But he has gone with a decentralized organizational structure. That move for CEOs has been hugely successful over time for a lot of different companies. And he's made investments in the supply chain, which proved a huge competitive advantage during the uh, pandemic. Momentum, uh, he's moving into uh, developed markets uh, where he's got 60% of revenues, continuing to invest in product innovation. 
Emerging markets have really been impacted a lot by COVID-19 due to strict lockdowns and a lack of infrastructure. But Mondelez established a presence in these higher growth markets, and I think that that should bode well over time. So they're 20 times earnings. That's a 15% discount to other multinational sort of uh, food and consumer products and goods companies. I'd expect this valuation gap to narrow over time. Uh, Mondelez's uh, uh, long-term growth algorithm is in line with their peers, which is 3 to 4% organic growth. And they've got a high single digit, uh, you know, earnings per, uh, earnings per share growth and a strong balance sheet, steady cash flow, 2.2% dividend. Uh, I, I, I like this. I like this company. Goldman Sachs, number two, one of the world's premier investment banks. I always joke that sometimes the customers at Goldman Sachs make money. Sometimes the customers at Goldman Sachs lose money. Goldman Sachs always makes money. Don't ever bet against those guys at Goldman Sachs. And despite blowout results in the past two years and the stock's better performance lately, they continue to trade at a really, I think, relatively cheap valuation, particularly priced a book, about one times book, uh, reflecting, you know, I guess the street's belief that management won't be able to generate acceptable returns on equity over time. I think that pessimism is misplaced. People betting against Goldman have never done very well. Uh, the huge returns on equity, you know, of pre-2008 and, and becoming a commercial bank and the great financial crisis are probably over. And it's also true that the nature of Goldman's various businesses require um, the acceptance of greater performance volatility than the typical bank. But in exchange for the greater volatility, investors get to benefit from the company's renowned dynamism and opportuni opportunism, um, which I think can lead to the kinds of blowout results we've seen over the past two quarters. So I don't think it has paid to bet against Goldman uh, in the past, certainly not after the financial crisis. I don't think it makes sense today. They've got huge amounts of capital. The stock pays 1.9% dividend. Remember, the U.S. Treasury 10-year pays about nine-tenths. So 1.9%. Uh, financials have not done well over the past year. This is also kind of a hit them where they ain't stock, one of those stocks that certainly has been hurt by the pandemic. On my list from last year was a stock called Valmont Industries. It's back on the list again this year. Valmont Industries is a relatively small company, manufactures engineered poles, uh, utility poles, towers, and other structures, uh, light poles for a number of different uh, you know, applications, uh, you know, highways, utilities. Uh, they also you, you know, help out in that telecommunication space, uh, produces uh, mechanized irrigation systems, metal coatings. I think this company is an investment in the infrastructure development that should benefit from a long-term uh, global secular trend of population growth, urbanization, and water scarcity. So over the near term, the company's performance stands to benefit from possible large-scale infrastructure bills coming out of the US. The ongoing build-out in 4G and 5G. So this whole rollout of 5G, I think, is going to be good for uh, Valmont. Uh, and uh, I think even the proliferation of green energy and improved farmer outcomes following several years of weakness will benefit Valmont. 
Now, this stock has done very well over the past year. Um, the recent years, it's been spotty, but it's still less than 20 times uh, consensus estimates for 2021. And I think patient investors uh, will continue to be rewarded. It's not the you know runaway steal it was a year ago, but I'm not going to sell Valmont paying me 1% of the dividend equal to the 10-year treasury thereabouts. One of the other uh, stronger stocks for the past year was a bit unexpected. I mean, I liked it. I owned it uh, because of valuations, uh, but it was still strong. I think it will continue to be strong, and that's Lowe's. Lowe's companies led by veteran Marvin Ellison. It's, so it's one of two companies that dominate that space with Home Depot, of course. And he joined the company in mid-2018. So this is another new uh, CEO, uh, another new CEO out there who's coming in to bring some change to the companies. We, we talked about that also with Mondelez, with a new CEO. Well, we've got another one here at Lowe's uh, 2018. And since he joined, he has implemented an aggressive corporate transformation. And it's clearly begun to pay dividends. You know, he made uh, great strides, uh, Harry, during his short-term tenure in a number of different areas. Merchandising, supply chain management, distribution, what they've done with labor. They've improved this, what they call the omni-channel experience at Lowe's. Uh, marketing has gone up. Greater emphasis on the professional customer. So I think these initiatives uh, create a potential for a long runway of improved performance. Uh, probably, and I think relative to Home Depot, I think uh, they typically trade back and forth over the years where one outperforms the other. I think it's Lowe's turn coming up here. We'll see. They've uh, made significant investments to improve the e-commerce platform. Canadian operations, I think, are going to contribute to this turnaround story. And I think this home improvement subsector of retail should remain relatively uh, attractive compared to overall retail. So I think that the TAM, uh, that total addressable market, continues to be strong, expanding slowly, and despite excellent performance of the past couple of years, still trades at just 17.8 times uh, next year's earnings estimates. It's got a 1.5% dividend. I'm sticking with Lowe's and looking to grow some money there. Let's yeah, shift. I've, I've been in Lowe's a good bit in the last uh, in the last couple of months, and and it's it's interesting that you you can see those changes that Marvin Ellison uh, Marvin Ellison has made, and and a great company doesn't always make a great stock, but I think this is a case where uh, where it does uh, that the the company the 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 company is is improving. Uh, you can really see that, and uh, and yeah, I I'm I have this one in my personal portfolio too, and I'm uh, I'm. Uh, uh, looking forward to 2021. And always remind a quick reminder, as we review these stocks, these are stocks we find interesting. We are not making recommendations to buy or sell any securities. Please listen very closely to Harry's disclaimer at the end of this forecast. Uh, we're not making recommendations to buy or sell. I'm just sharing with you what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. I'm going to shift to Beckton Dickinson. Actually, before I do, Harry made a very good point. Great companies don't necessarily mean great stocks. It really does come down to the pricing and what's going on within the company. Typically, great companies will win out over time as investments. But uh, if you pay the right price for them, if you can get them at the right price, uh, the odds are much more in your favor. I just wrote an article 
of course, on CNBC.com about Tesla, which may be a perfectly great company that doesn't happen to be making any real money, and I think it's much too expensive. Uh, that's a very expensive company. Could be a great company. I think it is a great company, actually. It's a great concept. We'll do well probably over time, but it may not. But when you pay a super high price for something, everything has to work out perfectly. That's not the sort of risk Farr wants to take. Boy, I'm getting killed on social media, though. The people who love Tesla hate Farr. People who I, love I Tesla. I love the uh, who, who hurt you, Michael, that, that, that uh, you don't want to buy Tesla stock. <laughs> yes, who hurt you as a child, yes, was, was my favorite, favorite comment. I'm going to move to healthcare because clearly uh, we can see in this age of a pandemic and an aging population, this has always been an underlying trend, investment trend at Farm Miller, but in many ways now more than ever. Becton Dickinson is a global supplier of medical devices, hospital supplies, diagnostic equipment, and medication management systems, hospitals, labs. Management estimates that 90% of patients who enter an acute care setting are touched by at least one Becton Dickinson product. They've had a bunch of different headwinds in recent years, and it was exacerbated by the pandemic. But uh, as the world's leading manufacturer of syringes and needles, Becton Dickinson is playing a key role in the COVID-19 vaccination campaign over the next couple of years. They are the world's leading manufacturer of, of syringes. And everybody's got to get one of these damn shots around the world. So, you know, after you get through the first 7.4 billion or so, uh, then we can take a look and figure out what else they can make money on. But the company manufactures COVID-19 tests that are going to, I think, continue to remain in high demand for at least the next year or two. Over the long term, the company's growth algorithm, mid-single-digit organic growth, low double-digit earnings per share growth, is supported by this aging population. So Becton Dickinson trades at 19 times earnings, a significant discount to both the S&P and its medtech peers. Dividends, 1.3%. I I, this feels like a good core holding. Uh, feels right to me. We'll, we'll see, how it all, see how it all works out. So uh, market cap, by the way, on Becton Dickinson, $71 billion. That's a pretty good large cap company. One of those that's, you want to talk about an unloved company, Harry, sort of in the healthcare space, CVS. CVS is a company I've liked for a while that hasn't done jack. Uh, and it's, it's, it's irritating to me. And not only is it irritating to me, I'm beginning to become suspicious that I've just got something <laughs> wrong here with CVS, but I'm going to stick with it. Uh, so CVS uh, is, the, is the pharmacy uh, company and they have an insurance offering. They have a pharmacy benefit manager, and they're retail stores, of course. So it's a vertically integrated model. It's got diversification across the healthcare supply chain, and it, therefore it makes it a more defensive company. And maybe, Harry, it's one of these companies that the consumer doesn't, you know, shareholders say, well, am I investing in an insurance company? And am I investing in a retailer? Am I investing in a this or that? And I can't get the clear picture, but, over time, I think this should lead to medical cost savings as the company uses its data to promote medical, better medical management, adherence, improved engagement, and, you know, uses able to use lower cost healthcare settings such as the CVS Minute Clinics. There is a CVS 
within three miles of 70% of the U.S. population. 70% of the U.S. population lives within th uh, three miles of a CVS. So CVS has already got a contract with the government to provide COVID injections around the country. I think the company's very well positioned. Uh, the businesses are stable. They generate strong cash flow, lifeblood of a company, strong cash flow. That enables the company to delever the balance sheet. So they're reducing debt. They want to get down to three times EBITDA. Uh, they're lowering the debt is what you need to know there. And they, they've got the cash flow to do it. So the stock currently trades at nine times, nine times <laughs> 2021 estimates and has a 2.93% dividend. So I think the depressed valuation, you know, uh, it reflects... A uh, combination of the industry-wide headwinds, you know, it's a retailer, concerns about health and legacy uh, businesses. But I think the risk-reward trade-off is attractive for the long-term investor. And I can get paid 3% to wait on this one, Harry. I, I really am not, uh, am not too scared uh, about CVS. All right. You, you scared about CVS? Uh, no, uh, and and that's one of those where where it's a it's we we talk about balance sheets a lot, and we talk about good balance sheets. And CVS, if you look at the balance sheet, there is a lot of debt there. But the way that they've structured it, and since they have a plan to to deal with it, it's uh, it, it's one of those where you go beneath what that top line number is, and you realize, okay, this this isn't this isn't a scary balance sheet. But uh, but yeah, it's still one that the the street has been beating up on, and. I think with the 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 impact that they have on the American consumer, if if you're if you're listening to us from the Washington D.C. area, we, Michael just said you know seventy percent of the population of the United States is within three miles of a CVS. If you're in D.C. right now, look around. There's a good chance that you're inside a CVS. There's there's one on almost every street corner. No question about it. The, the damn things are like Starbucks stores. You just can't <laughs> swing a dead dead cat without hitting one. Uh, that's an expression to all of my animal-loving friends. Please don't send me notes and letters about the swinging the dead cat comment. Okay, uh, we're going to move along here. Uh, Raytheon Technologies. Now, Raytheon was uh, is the is the old name, but Raytheon Technologies is the combination of the old United Technologies Aerospace Division and uh, the old Raytheon Company. And it created, this merger created a powerhouse in the aerospace and defense industry. And it, the timing for United Technologies, even though the stock did well, and it's one that we've owned, owned for years, um, they never got really the full bang for their buck of all of the research dollars uh, that they invested on this groundbreaking geared turbofan engine. They came up with this jet engine uh, at United Technologies that's now owned by Raytheon Technologies. They spent a lot of money that, and they invested a lot in it. And the money that they spent on it, and the investment they made, hurt earnings, right? It hurt their numbers in the moment. And the big payoff was, I think we were going to begin to see it at the beginning of COVID. And then all of a sudden, jet engine orders and airlines, you know what happened, and we haven't seen them get the orders for these things, but they are so revolutionary in what they can do for fuel savings and efficiency. It's remarkable. And I think that uh, you're going to see this kick as, as a comeback stock, really, 
from a COVID comeback stock that's also going to benefit from the defense spending, everything else. Uh, the defense side of this new company likely it, it makes up, I think, 60 percent of sales this year. Uh, that's doing just fine. Uh, the investment they've made, I think, is going to pay off. And it is a uh, it, this is these are going to be high margin, high visibility um, after markets here. Uh, aftermarket revenue. So I expect the company's ultimately going to reap huge cost and revenue synergies from this ongoing integration of both Rockwell Collins and the Raytheon company. So it's been a decent mover uh, price-wise in recent weeks, but the stocks, I think it still looks cheap at 14 and a half times earnings. Uh, they're on a different fiscal year, but the year ahead earnings, it's 2022 earnings, but don't don't worry about that. The dividend uh, also high, almost uh, two and three quarter percent right now. I, I, I this 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 one uh, is uh, is is uh, has has a lot of enthusiasm from me. Um, let's switch back because I said, Harry, that I'm in no particular order. And so now I'm going to prove it. Uh, Medtronic. Medtronic is the world's largest medical device manufacturer, and it operates in four different segments. So it has cardiac and vascular, it has minimally invasive therapies, they have restorative therapy group and a diabetes group. Um, they played an important role in the fight against COVID. It's boosted its manufacturing capacity for ventilators and in order, in order to meet the heightened demand the suspension of elective procedures at hospitals when hospitals said we're not taking in anybody you've got to stay away we're just treating covid patients that was a significant headwind the stock took a pretty good dip you heard me talking about it on cnbc that i continued to like this very well run company here's a new ceo as well jeff martha uh, took over the role of ceo earlier this year he has laid out a bold strategy for medtronic to return to above market growth. And the current pipeline uh, is a key aspect of his vision. And it's gonna provide the company with multiple shots at high growth market, markets such as diabetes and atrial fib ablation. Uh, they've got treatments for renal problems and they have robotics. So he's got a new operating model that realigns annual performance goals to to drive an increased focus on market share. And finally, the company's balance sheet is huge and they make, gives them enormous flexibility to pursue tuck-in acquisitions and complement its current future product portfolio growth. Shares trade at 21 and a half times next year's estimates, a 2% dividend. Look, we're also coming into 2021 with a bit of a resurgence here in COVID. You could see, you're beginning to see another shutdown in those elective procedures. Um, I, I, you know, I'm going to buy this stock on the 31st, no matter what, but there might even be a, who knows, maybe we'll get a little bit of weakness uh, if, if they begin to uh, stop those elective procedures again. Let's make a shift now, Harry, back to the world of technology. I've got two technology stocks uh, this Are they companies year. that I've ever heard of, you think? I don't think you've heard of either one of these companies, Harry, because you spend much of your life under a rock. Um, <laughs> but for those, for those who, who actually creep out from under their rocks from time to time, they indeed may have heard of these technology companies. Uh, one of them is, is, is a company 
that uh, makes gadgets. It's a gadget company, uh, and it's called Apple. It is the world's more, most valuable company. I, I can hear folks now, far you're gonna buy Apple. Far you're gonna pay this price for Apple. Let me tell you why. Apple, of course, designs, develops, and sells electronic devices, computer software, and online services iPhones, iPads, Macs, Apple Watch, AirPods. I got an Apple Watch, Harry, this year. Mm -hmm. I kind well, I kind of like it because it lets me be less rude. You know, <laughs> you know, I, I mean, I, I, because you know, I'm I'm often in situations where I've got 16 things going on at once, including, you know, CNBC will often frequently call me in the morning and say we may need you this afternoon. Can you stand by? That's a thing. They actually do that. And so, uh I have to go to meetings, but then my phone will buzz and I would have to pull out my phone to see if it was CNBC or if there's something else going on of some significance. Now I just have to sort of glance down at my wrist. And even though everybody pretty much knows what you're doing, it does feel less rude. Oh, and I can also check the damn thing on the golf course where cell phones aren't allowed. And um, I spend some time on golf courses. Apple is in unique control over both the hardware and software on its devices, creating a very consistent user experience across all of those devices. Majority of revenue and earnings come from the iPhone, but services is the fastest growing and highest margin business. Now, this is really important, right? I mean, I, if I can charge you for my service, this is the shift really that Microsoft made. Microsoft shifted from having, you remember you had to go get a new box with a new floppy disk or hard disk or some damn thing to upgrade your Microsoft uh, new user system and they kept having to come up with a new user system? Well, you don't anymore. Now you just have to renew your Microsoft license and you have to pay Microsoft every year. Apple is moving to that model. Uh, they've done very well uh, with selling of their gadgets. They've got some new gadgets coming out that I think will, you know, they've got a huge fan base, but um, it's not necessarily cheap at 32 times earnings. Uh, they've got 5G coming out. They've got new stuff. But if they can shift to a subscription service, I think it's going to be very strong for them. Double-digit earnings per share growth. Now, when I say double-digit earnings per share growth, I really only mean 10 or 11%. But the S&P 500 average earnings per share growth going forward for 2021 and 2022, 2023 is about 6%. So if I can buy 10% earnings per share growth, I'm, I'm going to do it. I have to be a bit careful with that because I am paying a higher market multiple. I wouldn't call Apple necessarily cheap, uh, but it is um, re really a juggernaut in, in terms of its business model right now as it shifts over to that revenue base. And finally, finally, number 10 out of 10. And last but not least, certainly because I've had no particular order, is Alphabet or Google. Uh, so hard to change the name Google, isn't it? And get people to say Alphabet when everybody Googles everything. I mean, Google is now in the dictionary as a word for search. Alphabet is the holding company that owns a lot of subsidiaries and the most profitable of which, of course, is Google. Google's search is the world's most popular search engine. Android is the most widely used mobile phone operating software. Eight products, more than a billion users search Gmail and Google Maps and YouTube, Chrome, 
Google Play Store, Android. So, uh, and they've got huge advertising revenues, subscription, hardware accounting for the rest. Advertising revenues was hurt by COVID. The share price performance lagged its large cap technology peers in 2020. This was a laggard in 2020. I think the advertising revenue comes back in 2021 as vacuum, vaccines are distributed and consumers and businesses start to return. Cloud migration remains a secular growth story. Cloud is the huge memory uh, me memory storage uh, that, that is subscription and will continue to be subscription. And I think that it'll allow the Google Cloud platform to sustain its rapid growth in coming years. The company has arguably the best balance sheet in the world. More than $133 billion in cash and investments, net of debt, net of debt. There are $133 billion to the positive, a triple-A balance sheet, and there are not many anymore anywhere in the world, including the United States government, by the way, which is only double-A. Google is triple-A. How about that? So uh, 28 times earnings. Remember that our friends Apple are 32 times earnings. Google is 28 times earnings. Our estimates for Google's long-term earning growth, I think over the next three to five years are gonna be in the high teens. I'm gonna peg it at 17% earnings growth. At 17% earnings growth, you're gonna see those earnings double in about three and a half years, four years, maybe four years. Uh, those earnings are gonna double. Um, if you can double earnings, what does that mean in terms of your share price? Could it go 50% higher? I don't know. We'll see. So there are risks around uh, uh, the government regulation, but I think that's going to take several years to play out. And I, these, it's just one that I'm going to own. So those are my, those are my top 10, Harry. And you'll see that I've got consumer staples, consumer discretionary. Uh, I've got industrials. I've got healthcare. I've got IT and communication services on my list this year. It is, uh, I've got my financial stock in there. So it's a bit diversified. I feel like I have three legs to my stool uh, in, in terms of uh, concentration. I've got that core group of conservative stocks. I've got a couple that uh, are continuing to benefit and grow in a, in a post-COVID world. And I've got my few in there that are gonna have a COVID bounce back uh, that are still very solid companies with solid balance sheets. I feel good about this year's list, Harry. Uh, yeah, it, it's one of those that you can't, you, a portfolio is not constructed out of only 10 stocks. And I think that that's something that uh, is important to say, not just in the not just in the disclaimer, that an investor needs to have some breadth of exposure because you don't want to bet on one particular result. But, uh, no. but with this, you, like you said, this is a balance of, those companies, some of which are doing well in COVID, some of which have a post-COVID bounce back. You have the the very uh, very richly valued but still growing company like Apple, uh, and then companies that have been beat up like uh, like CVS. So this uh, it's just ideas for for different directions that we go at, and and these are all companies that uh, that ones that uh, that most people probably would be happy to own over a five year period. I, I, I think so. But, you know, uh, as I say, I, I, these are very concentrated positions. We put this portfolio together for an institutional manager who wanted a concentrated portfolio. So we have the uh, concentrated portfolio 
I've invested in it. It is not for the faint of heart. And uh, a more diversified, broad, broad portfolio that we run uh, for other clients at Farr Miller in Washington, I think, is uh, typically uh, is a better choice and a better fit. Uh, is a better fit for most for most of our clients. Um, I will tell you that last year's list uh, was uh, below uh, the market in terms of performance. There was one stock on last year's list, uh, Chevron, that uh, was not kind to me uh, at all. It was my it was my big loser. But for but for that, we would have outperformed uh, big time. But as one of my friends says uh, on the golf course regularly, if my aunt had testicles, she'd be my uncle. So uh, you can ponder that one, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, this is from one of my deep thinking friends. Um, anyway, uh, I think that uh, for all that we went through, Harry, in 2020, it was a remarkable outcome here to be up almost 15 percent uh, on the stock market. If you had told anyone at the beginning of 2020, before COVID, that we would be up 15%, I think you would have been uh, met with a certain amount of disbelief and horror from some. Uh, certainly at the depths of COVID that you suggest that we would be up 15% on the year it would have been just disbelief and you'd have been taken out in the long sleeve jacket wrapped around your back, you know? So it, this is one of these times where you have to stop and look back as an investor and say, what do I know? What don't I know? What could I get wrong? Uh, most everybody got most everything about 2020 wrong and everybody uh, who stayed invested made money. Those who tried to time, those who became emotional did not. For years on the forecast, I have advised clients uh, and our listeners, emotion is the foe of the long-term investor. If you didn't learn that in 2020, you may never learn that. But look at your portfolio, look at your, what you've done in your portfolio, talk with your advisor. Up 15% may mean that it's time to rebalance, might mean it's time to still make that allocation to fixed income. A fixed income allocation is there to add stability, and maybe you want to keep those maturities a little bit shorter. Uh, uh, rates uh, are, you know, I think are, the path of least resistance for rates is higher. We're at nine tenths of a percent on the 10 year Treasury. Are we really going to go negative this year? That would be a huge surprise. When I think about those things that could surprise me, yes. Uh, deflation and lower rates in 2021 would come as a big surprise. Right now, the bias is higher. The dollar is falling. Dollar has fallen a lot. Dollar versus the euro was around a dollar six. So it cost a euro. You could buy a euro for one dollar and six cents at the beginning of, of the year uh, 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 last year, and now uh, you're going to pay a dollar twenty-two for that same euro. For that, say another way to think about it, the dinner in Paris, not that you could go, but that would have cost you 106 bucks, 106 bucks uh, a year ago is now going to cost you 122 bucks. Same dinner. That's the difference in currencies. So uh, anyway, the, this currency fluctuation matters. The higher price of oil matters. The yields going up matter. 
bonds, I would tend to keep those a little bit shorter. Ladies and gentlemen, it has been a great year uh, all over. Uh, now that it's done for investors, it has been a horribly difficult year for our country. And as with all things, America endures. America withstands these times and these pressures, these catastrophes, and we do come together, as we have come together over this disease. And despite, you know, some of the, of, of the noise that we hear in the media, when I go out, uh, and I'm sure when you go out, people are wearing masks. People are concerned about their fellow man and their neighbor. That's the nature of America. That is the nature of our fellow American. Let's remember that. Let's focus on that good nature as we move into 2021 and continue to care about and for each other. We care about you a great deal here on the Farcast. We will be back next week to talk to you about Wall Street, Washington, and the world. So grateful you're with us. Please share us on social media. Thank you so much. Happy, happy New Year. And I have one more bit of advice. If you can go to sleep on December 31st, anywhere around eight or nine o'clock, just think about it. You can put an end to 2020 even earlier. <laughs> so this is the year Farr says, don't stay up till midnight. For God's sakes, don't make this year a minute longer than it has to be. <laughs> go to sleep and wipe it out of your consciousness. If you can go to bed at seven, do that. We'll be back with you in 2021. For my friend Harry Jennings, me and everybody, Dan Mahaffey, everybody on the Farcast, uh, Happy New Year. God bless you and God bless America. Thank you for listening in to this week's special year-end top 10 edition of the Farcast. We love hearing from you every week and try to respond to all of your notes and suggestions. You can reach us at hjennings at farmiller.com. Let us know any questions you have and topics you'd like us to cover. The Farcast comes to you weekly and is produced by Michael Farr and Harry Jennings and is available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and all major podcast platforms. We would like to remind you that the Farcast podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered legal or financial advice. Any mention of a specific security should not be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell, and please be aware that past performance is not a guide to the future performance of any index fund, manager, or strategy. A note on this year's top 10 list. In each of the last 13 Decembers, Michael Farr has selected and personally invested in 10 of the stocks we follow with the intention of holding for one calendar year. These are companies that Michael finds attractive in light of their valuations and or potential to benefit from economic developments. Michael personally invests in the top 10 in equal dollar amounts and holds these positions for one year. Michael will sell the 10 securities in his 2020 top 10 portfolio on Thursday, December 31st, and buy the names in the 2021 top 10 that afternoon. The listener should not assume that investment in the securities identified was or will be profitable. These are not recommendations to buy or sell, and there is a risk of losing principal. As always, past performance is no indication of future results. Please review with a financial professional before you make any investment decision. And if we can be of assistance at Farm Miller in Washington, 
please reach out to me at hjennings at farmmiller.com. We are here to help. And I'll be happy to put any of our listeners in touch with one of our investment professionals for a complimentary review of your portfolio and, and your investment needs and goals. Take care, stay safe, and stay healthy. From all of us at the Farcast, we wish you a happy and healthy new year. We will be back with you next week as we continue our fourth season. Go beyond the headlines each week with the Farcast. Wall Street, Washington, and the world. <laughs>